12 through 22 anyway. 9 verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues. That if he found any of this way, and the way he was talking about was the Christian way, if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat it nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on his name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, even the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue, for he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. Let's stand and go to God in the word of prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be able to be in church again today. We just pray you'd bless the pastor and his wife, Lord, as they're away for a few days. And God, give them rest. And uh, we just pray, God, that you'd help them, Lord, keep them safe as they journey. We pray for this message today, Lord. Maybe somebody's listening either online or here in this congregation that needs to be saved. I pray, God, that you'd move upon them and deal with their heart in a special way. God, let the Holy Ghost trouble them. Help them, Lord, maybe even take sleep from their eyes and, and take their appetite away. Whatever it, whatever it needs to be, Lord, I pray it would happen today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue to study about Paul, we study the soul-saving power of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to say, if you're saved here today, you are saved by that soul-saving power that saved uh, Saul of Tarsus. If you were among the early Christians just after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, the name Saul of Tarsus would have brought great fear to your heart. First thing you would have thought of, maybe being slaughtered like Stephen was, stoned to death, or maybe being thrown into prison for your faith. 
And I'm not sure that we're not going to face that someday in this nation if God continues to tarry. But Saul was blinded there in Acts chapter 9, first by unbelief, and then he was blinded by the light of Christ before he was converted. As I looked at this passage of Scripture, even the last time and then again this week, I thought of how that Saul became a trophy of God's grace. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm glad that God saves us by grace and not by works. I thank God that I'm not going to have to depend upon my ability or, or who I am or how long I preach or anything of that nature or the churches that I pastor to the people that I led to the Lord. I'm glad that I will be uh, enter heaven because of the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God here took a persecutor and made an apostle out of him. The apostle Paul, before he was saved, was a staunch defender of the law. But then after he was saved, he became a preacher of the gospel of grace. He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, but became the voice unto the Gentile people. The great antagonist of the Christian faith became the great apologist. As we spoke last time, there's a great truth in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17. And you might look at that with me, if you will. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth. And I want to say that if you're here today and you are a child of God, you are a new creature in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away. I know when I got saved, I, I thought before I got saved that everybody went to church was pretty much a hypocrite. But when I got saved that Sunday night, I remember getting up from there and I looked around. I didn't see one hypocrite at all. I realized that I had been the hypocrite that was in that church. And I want to tell you, old things have passed away. My old desires had passed away. I didn't like to go to church until I came, became a Christian. I see people that say, well, I don't go to church because of this reason or that reason or something else. I think they don't go to church because they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But Paul there, the Bible said, uh, there is old things that passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, I said last time that Paul experienced a spiritual LSD. And I want to kind of go back through that. First of all, Saul received a new Lord. Just five seconds with Christ, and this man Saul is under new management. I'm glad it doesn't take all day to be saved, don't you? I'm glad we don't have to learn a certain amount of Scripture or, or pray a certain way or wear certain clothes or anything like that in order to become a child of God. Five seconds with Christ, and Paul was a new uh, creature under new management. Secondly, that's the L. Secondly, Saul received a new sight. In verse number 18, this truly happened in this physical realm. I mean, he, he, the scales, the Bible said, fell from his eyes. But I think it means, it means to illustrate what happens to us in the spiritual realm. I mean, God opened our eyes. If you're here today and you're lost in your sins, you're lost because you've been blinded by Satan. And so you need to understand that today. And just let God open your eyes today. This world is lost in spiritual blindness. Not just America, but the entire world is lost in spiritual blindness. In those three days of blindness, Saul had a lot of time to think. As a matter of fact, he had time to think about his past life. He had time to think about what God was going to do with him from, from there on. And in those three days, the scales fell off his eyes and they were open. So that he received his new sight. So first of all, L, he received a new Lord. S, he received a new sight. And D, he received a new dynamic. God got his attention and touched him and tamed him in an instant. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy 
that floods my soul. Sing it with me. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. Saul became a trophy of grace. Aren't you thankful for that? And you can be changed like that too if you do what Saul did. Say, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Now what you surrender, you need to remember this, what you surrender, he'll take. And what he takes, he'll cleanse. And what he cleanses, he fills. And what he fills, he uses. So surrender yourself to the Lord today. There were two men that were visiting Niagara Falls. And I've, I've been there to Niagara Falls one time. I went out to New York with John Williams and held revival out there at Steventown, New York. And uh, we looked, went, went out to the Niagara Falls, and these two men were there. And one of them said to the other, he said, this is the greatest unused power source that man will ever know. And uh, his friend looked at him and said, no, that's not really right. He says, the Holy Spirit is. So I want you to think about that. The greatest power source that we have at our disposal today is the Holy Spirit of God. Number four, he received a new love. Notice there, verse number 19, the Bible says there in that passage of Scripture, and who had received meat, he was strengthened then with certain days with the disciples. Now here he's with the disciples, okay? If you go to verse number one, you'll see that he was breathing out slaughterings and threatens against the disciples of the Lord. See the change? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That which he hated, he now loved. And that which he uh, loathed, he, he loved. And that, once he threatened them, now he's fellowshipping with them. He once wanted to jail and kill them. Now he's praying with them and studying with them and spending time with them. In verse number 17, the first two words that he heard after he got saved was Brother Saul. How much that must have meant to him to now be a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a song that says, You will notice we say brother. And sister around here, sing it with me, some of you are trying to. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear and rejoice in each victory with this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the mountain, cleansed by His blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. You know, the longer and the longer I live and the more I get involved in the things of God, the sweeter the church is to me. Amen. If you love God, you should love the church. I don't think you can love Jesus without loving his people. I don't truly love his, I don't think you can truly love his people if you don't love being with his people. And the Bible says that Paul was with the disciples. A true Christian is never so much at home as when they're in church. So no wonder God's people love coming together and coming back together as often as possible. Love the Lord and love the church. You cannot separate the two. Now notice in verse number four, the question was asked, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now Saul could have said to the Lord, I don't have anything against you, Lord. It's these Christians I have a problem with. But he didn't say that. 
Because he knew that Christ and the church was inseparable. He knew you couldn't separate the two. Saul knew that if you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. Saul knew if you ignored the church, then you're ignoring Jesus. Saul knew that if you neglect the church, then you're neglecting Jesus. Saul knew if you brought honor and service to, the, to Jesus, that you was bringing honor and service to the church. It's called the law of affinity. People gather themselves in groups based upon interest and common values. My dad used to say, birds of a feather flock together. If you don't believe this, go to McDonald's, just sit there and look at who comes in the door. Won't be one cheerleader. There'll be a dozen. Won't be one basketball player. There'll be a dozen, 10 or 12 of them come in there as a group. Or maybe, uh, you know, maybe the thugs come in. They got their pants down to their knees, you know. And nobody wants to watch that, but that's what they do. They drag in all disleveled, flip cigarettes in the bushes on the way in, order, sit down, and say, man, give me a hit off your nuggets. Birds of a feather flock together. And Paul now was a Christian. He wasn't persecuting the church any longer. He was loving the church and loving the disciples and loving the Lord. May I tell you that a Christian is never so much at home as when he's with other believers. When a person is genuinely saved, you don't have to beg them to come to church. It really bothers me. Somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what I think's wrong with them. I don't think they're saved. When I got saved, I wanted to go to church. And unless I was sick, you would find me in the house of God. When a person generally saved, you have to beg them to come to church. It's who they want to be with. If you're carnal, then you want to be with others that are out in the world. If you're one of God's people, you want to be in God's house on God's days with God's family studying God's word. And you won't want to toss Jesus in the back seat when something comes along. I'm not saying church makes you a Christian. I went out to two brothers' garage the other day, walked in there. I didn't turn into a car. Okay? But coming to church is a good identification that you're a child of God. Even you continually and religiously come to the house of God. I hear people give excuses for giving, for laying out of church these days. It wasn't so sad and so stupid to be comical, so I'm going to make it a little comical this morning. I'm going to apply the same excuses people offer to bathing that they give for going to church. Now, when I was little, I was forced to bathe. I, I seriously mean that. Now, some of you didn't live in my generation, okay? I was the youngest in the family. The smallest in the family. You know what that meant? I took bath last. I got to take a bath in the dirty water. Dad was first. Mom was second. The oldest child right on down until it got to be, and I got to take a bath in dirty water. So you know what? I'm not taking a bath anymore. I told Ramona the other day, I said, I'm not cutting my hair anymore. I'm not shaving again. I'm not taking a bath. I'm not doing anything like that to clean up. She said, enjoy your time on the couch. I have since changed my mind. You notice I've shaved and yeah. Or people who make soap are only after my money. Think about that. I'm not taking a bath anymore. They're just after my money. I wore it on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Shouldn't you know the old timer said too much bathing a week in you? I don't want to be weak, so People who wash are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than anybody else. Yeah. There's some Christians think they're better than anybody else, you know. 
They're just sinners like the rest of us. Amen. Sinners saved by grace. There's so many different kinds of soap, I can't decide which one is best. I can't decide either. Soap is soap to me. I used to wash, but it got boring, so I stopped. You ever just didn't want to take a bath? That's where I was when I was little, because I was the last one in the wash tub, you know. But None of my friends wash, so why should I? That excuse is used. None of my friends go to church. Why should I go to church? The bathroom is never warm enough in the winter or cool enough in the summer. Yeah. I'm just too busy to take a bath. Yeah. I'll start washing when I get older and dirtier. Saul got saved and he had a new love. And that new love that he had was for Jesus Christ. And then that new love was shed abroad to those that were lost, whether they were Jew or Gentile. And he had a new love for his Christian brothers and sisters. A new love. In California, there are giant sequoias. Some as high as 20-story buildings, some 70 feet in circumference. You would think that these trees would have really deep roots, but they don't. Actually, their roots are very close to the, to the surface. The only way they survive and grow to large and tall trees is they always grow together in groves, and their roots are intertwined. I want you to think about that a minute. You'll never see a single tree by itself because it would never survive the storms and the winds. But in groves, they hold each other up, much like we need to do right now. That's what the church is all about. December the 7th, 2020, I lost my wife. She passed away after nearly 52 years of marriage. I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I needed to keep coming to church, so I kept coming to church. I've had people tell me, I don't know how you did it. i tell you how I did it. Because our, our roots are intertwined together. I had people that prayed for me and would come and pray with me. And I didn't, know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what my future was going to be about. But God sustained me. At nights I'd wake up and I think I preached one time on trust here one Sunday morning. And God woke me up one night and said, you need to go study all the scriptures in the Bible on trust. T-R-U-S-T. And so I did. I studied all the scriptures. And I think that Sunday morning I preached it here. I preached on the, the ones out of the book of Psalms. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. Whatever, whatever problem you may have, trust in Him. I had no idea that in less than two years, God would send me another wife. I had no idea. But I began to pray. And God answered my prayer. But you see, the only way those trees survive and grow large and tall, they grow together and grows, and their, their roots intertwine with one another. That's the way the church is. If somebody has a prayer request, what do we do? We pray for that person. Our pastor says Wednesday night's the most important service that you can come to because it's a time we get together and a time we pray. And we tell people our request and they pray about those requests. Many churches don't welcome a soul into their fellowship, but that kind of person needs it more than anybody else. And folks, listen to me. We need one another. We need one another. We need each other. Number five, Saul received a new purpose. His sole purpose before getting saved was to destroy the church. And boy, did he ever live for that purpose. I mean, remember Stephen? The Bible said he held the coats of them that stoned Stephen to death. Saul was too religious to stone him himself. But he didn't mind holding the coats and let somebody else do the dirty work. After getting saved, his sole purpose was to build a church. 
Before, he wanted to keep people from hearing about Jesus. He wanted to stamp out the name of Christ. He, he didn't want the name of Jesus to be uttered. After he was saved, he made sure everybody heard about Jesus. God puts within the heart of the truly saved a burning passionate desire to see others saved. Paul, Paul spent the rest of his life talking and teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. Remember the two questions that he asked in verse 5, Who art thou, Lord? He spent most of his life studying who the Lord was. And then in verse 6, another question, What would thou have me to do? And when he found out what God wanted him to do, he went to work. Amen. And he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked until God called him home. Paul spent the rest of his life deeply searching out the rich, deep answers to those two questions. Getting to know God better for who He is and determining God's will and doing it every turn of the way. God has left you and I here for that same purpose. I don't know what God's calling is for you. I wonder, all the young men that's sitting here in church, if surely God has some uh, calling upon some young man's life to enter the ministry. I know we have young preachers here. and I thank God for each and every one of them. But surely there's more young men that God is calling or will call to the ministry in some fashion. And I want to say when He calls you, be sure that you don't give it up. It's a great and grand purpose serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's left us here for that purpose, not just to make a living, not to accumulate wealth for the kids to fight over one day or see how nice of a house or car you can work your way up to, but to reach our world with the gospel. You say, what's my world? Well, your world is your family. That's your world. Your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. Go reach your world. God doesn't expect you to reach someone you can't reach. This world is lost and wandering as confused as a termite on a yo-yo. The religious world is just as confusing. So many names, denominations, and beliefs. Lost people today don't know where to turn. I mean, you know, they hear about the Baptist light and the Methodist light and the Pentecostal light and the, you know, whatever light there is. They need to see the light of Christ, Amen. the light of Jesus. And we are His feet to go to them, His hands to reach out to them, a sermon in shoes, and the only Bible those in our circles may ever read. Saul's conversion. I read an article one time said it was probably the greatest conversion that, that ever happened was Saul of Tarsus. Every conversion is great. Every conversion is a miracle. When I got saved at, the, at 11 years of age, it was a miracle. I would lay awake at night. I'd have dreams. Wake up thinking I was in hell. Scared to death. Didn't say anything to my parents. One Sunday night in church, sitting about halfway back, right through here, the preacher preached. I don't know what Brother Smith preached on. I couldn't tell you a word he said. But well, I know the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of me. Amen. And I went to the front of the church and I knelt down and I prayed. I remember that the Lord saved me that night. Amen. Have I always been doing right? No, I haven't. But thank God, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin Amen. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I want to say to you that are listening online and you that are here in this congregation, Jesus wants to save you this morning. He didn't want you to leave this place, go out lost without God. You're taking too much of a chance. Yeah. I know a man one time that uh, went out of church and I asked him, I said, uh, you look like you were under conviction. He said, I am under conviction. I said, won't you go get saved? He said, well, maybe next time. 
About two nights later, he came back to the revival. And I said, you didn't get saved tonight. He said, I didn't, I didn't get the call to get saved tonight. He said, the Holy Spirit of God didn't deal with me to get saved tonight. I don't know whether God sent away a day of grace or not. But it's dangerous. If you feel the tug of the Spirit of God on your heart this morning, you need to do something about it. You need to come or stand and do whatever you need to do. Pray where you're at. You don't have to, I don't have to pray with you. You can pray yourself. Just ask God to forgive you. Lord, have mercy on me. And he will forgive you immediately. You'll be like the Apostle Paul. Five seconds after you meet Jesus, you'll know something happened to you. I went to a baptism a few Sunday mornings ago of a, a great-grandson. He'd be seven years old this month. He was in Sunday school one Sunday morning, and he felt they needed to be saved. He didn't say anything to his teacher. He just bowed his head and prayed, and he got saved. And after the Sunday school was over, he went to his mom. He said, Mom, I got saved this morning. She said, well, who led you to the Lord? He said, nobody. He said, I just prayed. And she said, well, how do you know you're saved? He said, I just feel so clean. That's how you know you're saved. If you're sitting here today or listening online and you feel dirty and filthy, you're probably not saved. If you are saved, you're out of the will of God. And you need to get right with God before it's too late. Let's all stand, if you will. And Brother Van, bring a verse of invitation, if you will, this morning. And again, I don't know your heart. I'm not a reader of hearts. The Holy Spirit is. But if you'll come today, God will save you. You don't have to worry about, well, he may not, he may not save me. Yes, he'll save you. Because he died for you. And he'll save you. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for this message. We're thankful for these people that come out to hear it. God, we're thankful for everything that you do for us. You're so good to us. Most of all, we're thankful for the, the, the salvation, God, that you paid for with your precious son. The blood that he shed. Lord, I'm so thankful for that today. I just pray, God, that you touch people's heart this morning. Those that are online, Lord, can be saved just like those that are here. You don't need somebody praying for you. Just all you have to do is pray yourself. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.